Hello, and welcome to show number 2302 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. It was a good run, and we were all in it for the for, we were all in it for the same reasons, to make sure that we produced a great product that, that was going to be successful and help people get employed and get education and and grow and, and, and enjoy things. And uh, along the way, we happened to make some pretty good money for the venture capitalist. And this week, we continue the story that we started last week with three people who made some major contributions to accessibility over the years as technologies continue to change. We'll speak with Ted Henter, Eric Damery, and Glenn Gordon, who together were instrumental in the development and progression of JAWS over the years as they reminisce about their contributions to accessibility. But first for our tip of the week. Last week, we had a tip from Glenn about following your passion. This week, we have tips from Ted and then from Eric on totally different topics. First, Ted. Because I was born and raised in Panama, and I go back there quite frequently, it's a third world country. And a lot of blind people down there, they don't have computers, they don't use JAWS. But almost anybody down there and in other um, less fortunate parts of the world can get a computer and can get JAWS. So I would say, go for it. Get on that computer. Don't just sit there and, and try to learn Braille. Get on the computer and, and get the product like JAWS, or of course, there's free ones out there now. But you've got to work at it and do something. Well, in my experience in Panama, there's a lot of blind people that just don't have any opportunity, but they don't take the opportunity to get on the computer. And now Eric speaking about another of his passions. And my tip is, you want to slow down your backswing in golf if you want to strike the ball well. You know, I was wondering if now that you're retired, Eric, you were going to give us a tip about golfing because I know you yes, love to golf. I'm, I'm about uh, four rounds a week into it now and love the game. Uh, and those of you who haven't tried it, whether you're sighted or not, give it a try. It's not easy. It's a real struggle, but you're out there in the fresh air and you're walking and anybody can play this game. Uh, the ball's not moving on you, so you just got to learn how to swing the club. And there's a lot of great blind golf people around the country. There's organizations you can search and look into the sports. A lot of fun. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by... APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Eric, Glenn, and Ted, again in alphabetical order. 
If you would like to hear longer introductions and learn a little more about their individual roles, listen to last week's show, which was number 2301. Hi, Nancy and Pete. This is Eric Damery. Hi, I'm Glenn Gordon. I'm Ted Henter. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is a bit more about the work environment at Henter Joyce, then Freedom Scientific, now Vispero, and about how the JAWS screen reader has had to adapt over the years to advances in computer technology, as well as to the evolving requirements of their growing numbers of users. Let's start with some reminiscences from Ted Henter. Pete, I would like to say uh, a few things about how much fun it was to work at Henter Joyce. We still have a, a mobile home at a lake near Ocala, Florida. And we'd go up there and water ski. Well, one time we had Andres, one of our programmers, a blind guy from Cuba. He was water skiing and he did a face plant where you you fall face first in the, in the water. And his glass eyes popped out. And he lost them. And they're still at the bottom of that lake, I'm pretty sure. So to finish that story, though, Andres was here from Cuba. His wife was coming the next week and he was all upset because he had lost his eyes. She hadn't seen him for a long time and he managed to get new eyes in that time in that week before she got there. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you added that, Eric. That's absolutely right. I recall Christmas of 1994, uh the company Christmas party, we didn't have that many people in the company but Ted and Mel opened their house up and they lined up some tables and made a big long Christmas table for dinner and all of the staff and their families came over to their house and we had our first Christmas dinner right there in their home and we would sit and and talk and it really was a family affair. We all worked real hard but uh, we felt like we worked in a real family environment and uh you know, Ted's kids were popping into the office from time to time. Their math teacher, Carl Wise, uh, got hired, uh, put systems together, did support, ended up doing programming, and runs the engineering team today. Still, there's countless stories of people. Donnie Dunn from Oklahoma, Vietnam veteran, came in and did tech support. Donnie had no legs and no eyesight, lost uh, both in Vietnam, and uh, was a fantastic tech support person for a number of years uh, working for us. You know, it can be really fun working with a small team, and in your case, a small company starting out on a new project. You're doing some innovative things. People all know each other. They all become very close. It's very different than working in a major corporation. And by comparison, we're still a small company. That's right. By comparison to thousands of people, yes. And, you know, I've noticed this over the years that people that came into the business stayed in the business. They may have moved from company to company, but they remained in the industry and we knew each other. 
going to trade shows was old home week. You know, we all got to see our friends and celebrate and have dinner. We were competitors, but we were friends too. I do want to say something, Pete and Nancy, about Jer- Jerry Bowman. He was a, a human resources guy from Honeywell. So he ran the company in the, the key uh, time period, which would be from, I'm going to say, 93 to 2001. He was a very, very important part of the Jaws story. And he would be with us in this broadcast today, but he's kind of a behind-the-scenes type of guy, and he doesn't want to take any credit for it, but he does deserve a lot of credit for the success of the company and the product and the two guys and me that are here talking with you today. One thing that really strikes me about, I guess it's now it's Vispero, but Hunter Joyce, Freedom Scientific, all of you guys working together, is that you all seem to speak so positively of everybody else up and down the chain. And over the years of doing Eyes on Success, we've interviewed quite a few people who you've worked with at various levels in various capacities. And everybody has these great stories, you know. Everybody else was terrific to work with. And, oh, by the way, we worked hard, but we had a lot of fun together, too. I think you're right, Nancy. Not everybody was fun. We just don't talk about the ones who weren't fun. (laughs) Well, yeah, but overwhelmingly, it's been a very positive story that we've heard over and over. Absolutely. And to me, when it resonates most is when someone from an unexpected quarter comes and says, you know, if it wasn't for Jaws, I would not be fill in the blank for someone's pursuit that they really love and care about. And I, for one, you know, worked on this mostly because it was just a lot of fun and I wanted to use the software. And yes, obviously helping other people was important, but I I had a lot of internal motivation. And I think that's probably why when people say the kind of life-changing things that they often have, that, uh, yeah, it really hits a positive chord. That has to be very rewarding for all of you and the contributions you've made over the years. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are the biggest changes you've seen over the years? Let's talk about, first of all, a little bit about the technology and the changes, and then we can talk about sort of corporate-wide and competition, how that has changed. So when we started, the word accessibility only meant something to either the people who needed the technology or the people who were working on the technology. Microsoft, which was still a relatively large company in 1994, had Countem 1. That's one guy involved in Windows accessibility, and he was sort of their evangelist, uh, more than anything, uh, talking about and trying to get input from people. But they didn't have people working on accessibility. And so everything we did and all the information we gathered was because we essentially reverse engineered parts of Windows and gathered the information that we wanted. Sometimes they were using documented techniques. Very often they were non-documented techniques. And even as early as the late 90s, Microsoft started working on a technology called MSAA or Active Accessibility 
And the idea there was that applications could start telling screen readers the useful pieces of information rather than causing us to have to go off and search for it. And so over the years, there have been more and more of these ways that applications and screen readers can do a dance. And the applications make certain amounts of information available. Screen readers can ask for it and present it in any number of ways. But it's uh, much more of this back and forth than it is the going off and finding information in ways that are undocumented. I guess back then you, you might not have had the relationships with Microsoft that you do these days in terms of getting pre-releases and beta copies of their software, right? Yeah, that's probably true. But even so, the, the release cadence was so different. Right now, we come out with JAWS, ZoomText, and Fusion updates every six weeks or so. Back then... I can't remember, Ted and Eric, you may have a better idea. I feel like we did an update once or twice a year, more often if there was a disaster, because very often we were sending it out only on floppy disks and CDs. For many years, there wasn't an active internet <laughs> where everybody could download it. And so, you know, we would build up to these regular releases, and the rest of the time was fielding calls and making changes for the next big release. So it's it's more incremental now, and just like us, the big operating system companies and the browser companies update on a similar cadence, and so us seeing those early versions is you know equally important, and now fortunately they're available. It's interesting, you mentioned the difference in distribution methods and how that made such a difference to what the customer sees. I think of particularly with hardware, it used to be if new kinds of hardware came out to do speech synthesis or screen magnification, you had to buy a whole new hardware board. And these days, that's all done over the internet with firmware updates to change how your system works. I spend a lot less time opening up the back of his computer to change boards these days. Like none. It's great. You know, back to the the Microsoft relationship. In the 90s, there was an accessibility group. It was a relatively small group. They didn't have a lot of pull within Microsoft. It wasn't ingrained in the organization as it is today. And so that has evolved over time. And... Um, Accessibility really is a part of that organization, and I, and I think that's really helped. But it took time. There were there were many years where it was pretty frightening that they were going to make some change, and all of a sudden we were going to be blocked out. That could have very easily happened. I think. I, I think it was quite fragile back then. Yeah, I think these days people are much more attuned to accessibility and designing for a variety of people's needs than they were, you know, a decade or two ago. People often talk about the old screen readers and the off-screen models and these days how things are being done very differently under the hood in Windows. And I guess every time Microsoft makes a big change of their platform, it must really impact what you guys do and how you have to work with their systems. Well, yeah, and probably the biggest one was the switch from the Windows 3.1, Windows 95, Windows 98, Windows Millennium to the things that were based on Windows NT that ultimately evolved into Windows 10, you know, passing through XP and Windows 7 and so forth. 
that was a major change for us. And we got wind of the fact that Social Security Administration was looking for software that ran on Windows NT. And there was only one software that ran as a screen reader in NT, and it was called ProTalk. And originally, Social Security was going to use them, and then they fell out of uh, as much favor. And so we had the option of (laughs) maybe being the Social Security's possibility. And so, of course, we rushed with vaporware to show them. We showed them Windows 3.1 and said, but we can make it work on NT. And Eric, I guess you, you and Ted were both there, so I only was on the phone line, so maybe you can fill in the rest of the story. Yeah, well, I had gone up there, and there was a fellow from Microsoft, I think that you alluded to, uh, Jeff Witt, and he was in the room with the Social Security Administration people and the the folks from ProTalk and the people from uh, microsystems that did magic because magic was going to become the screen magnification software that would work with ProTalk for the Social Security Administration. And the key was they had to work together. Well, things weren't going so well, and Jeff Witt knew it. And that's when he decided to bring us into the room, and they allowed us to demonstrate. And I did a demonstration in Excel with JAWS and Magic running together on my computer. And it kind of worked, and they were impressed enough to say, let's go to the next level. Some of these changes are hard to accommodate when someone like Microsoft makes a big change like that. Does it involve a total rewrite of JAWS, or can you patch things up? Fortunately, we were able to take almost all of JAWS and make it work for NT. Some of that change came originally for Windows 95 and 98. So we had gotten a jump start just as luck would have it. And then we were able to take that code and then write one layer that was NT-specific and uh, put it all together. And miraculously, it did seem to mostly work. Yeah. And as I recall, guys, uh, Microsystems Software, they had Magic running on Windows NT. And we got to talking to them. Eric did. And we worked out a deal. We bought that technology from them. And they worked with Glenn, and Glenn made it work with JAWS. Is is that correct, Glenn? Yeah, I had completely uh, blocked on that. Yes, we bought um, some of the technology that would have been hard for me as a blind guy who couldn't run NT to develop for NT. So it was another one of those cases where uh, the hard work of others allowed us to bootstrap and allowed me to bootstrap something that would have been hard for me to do otherwise. Yeah. The other technology change that was happening around that same time as NT was finding Eloquent Technologies product, Eloquence, and introducing a software synthesizer that we could ship with every license at no extra charge to the customer. And that was a significant breakthrough and really helped to expand to to so many users now that didn't have the wherewithal to also buy a $1,000 synthesizer to go with their screen reader. So that was a big technology change, too, and that happened right around 97. 
also building in the synthesizer into the software instead of having to buy a separate hardware device. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eric, how did that happen? Wasn't it your your wife that answered the phone or something like that? She did. She had answered the phone and passed the, the call on to me. You know, we had already started working with uh, digital at the time, Deck Talk. They were creating Access 32, and I had spoken with them, and you know, they wanted to sell that product and and still charge about four hundred ninety-five dollars retail for Access 32. So that was still going to be pretty expensive. And then the other one was. Um, the F- Russell Smith at Pulse Data, who had Kino Gold, and he had their software synthesizer, and his was going to be about 295 But when we heard Eloquence, uh, it was just so good, at least in English. I mean, it included about five languages, but they're not that great. Uh, but for English, it was very, very good. And that really, I think, helped turn the corner for us. And it was right around the time that hardware was getting good enough that it could support a software synthesizer. Probably two or three years earlier, it would have been much more of a reach. So the PC processors themselves weren't powerful enough to run a speech synthesizer along with a screen reader. Yeah, they were on the edge. And even so, you know, between the time we first inter- introduced Eloquence and now, PCs have gotten so much faster that the benefit of a hardware synthesizer has long ago disappeared. And as sophisticated and as well as our screen readers work these days, it seems like you're always playing catch-up because people are finding new and different ways of using technologies. I mean, I think particularly of these web-based applications now instead of being standalone applications. And there's always some changes you guys have to make in the screen readers and what you do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the web-based technologies, and that's something that I think folks have probably forgotten about now because it's become so commonplace. And that's the way that everybody views the web if you're using a screen reader, which is that you take a web page, but you navigate it as if it's you know a document in Word or a document in your favorite word processor, obviously with a lot more shortcuts. But that logic of being able to review things in a more incremental style was not how it began. When we first demonstrated Netscape, Netscape would read the page from top to bottom as it populated, and you could tab, and as you were tabbing, you could hear the name of a link, and you could press enter on the link. But that was it. Right. And and initially that seemed good enough because web pages were simple. And just because you could read content and navigate from one thing to the next pretty easily, that seemed usable. But clearly it wasn't by today's standards. So there's still some challenges and work ahead. Yes. Well, thank you, guys. This has been a fun interview and it was great getting you all together. And again, I want to thank you for the contributions you've made to people like myself who use these tools professionally and at home. You're welcome, Peter. Yeah, thank you, Pete and and Nancy. And uh, we've uh, had a relationship with you over the years because you've been part of that beta team. You've been insightful in helping us improve the product just like everyone else. And we couldn't have done it without without the help of all the customers. Absolutely. Thank you both for having us on. Thank you.
You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Vispero and Freedom Scientific and their products. And for an extra treat, we'll hear Eric talking some more about golfing and how you too can get involved. If people want to find out more about Freedom Scientific and connect with them, how can they do that? So the Freedom Scientific website is freedomscientific.com. You can either enter that in the address bar or any any reputable search engine will take you there. I host Freedom Scientific's podcast, FSCast, and you can write to me at fscast at vispero.com. And give people an idea of what kind of topics you cover on FSCast. It's a combination of things about our technology and blind people doing interesting things, very often with our technology, but not necessarily always. So a little bit like Eyes on Success. Perhaps we give you a little bit of a run for your money. <laughs> I think you do. You do a good job of hosting that FS Thank cast. You. Thank you. Does Freedom Scientific have a social media presence? So there's our Freedom Scientific website, which is freedomscientific.com. And we are also on Clubhouse, Facebook, Twitter. We do a bunch of Zoom events. Uh, and you can get to uh, information about a lot of that at uh, freedomscientific.com slash training. We actually did a show with a blind golfer. And at the end of the interview, we thought we were all done. We asked him, was there anything we missed? He says, would you like to hear about my hole in one? <laughs> and so we did. That's great. So my question for you, Eric, I know you can run circles around people with a screen reader and your eyes closed. Can you do that golfing too with your eyes closed? Ooh, good question. Uh, I haven't practiced uh, full swings uh, I have practiced putting with my eyes closed. It helps you train your muscles in a rhythm. That's really, you know, a blind golfer always has a sighted coach who lines them up, gives them information about what they're trying to do, and then they have to register all of that and make sure that the swing meets the objective. And it's the same thing we're trying to do as sighted persons. We, we don't look at the hole. We, we hold very still and try and swing through the ball. So uh, I've done it. I've done some with the putter, but not with the, not with a driver yet. <laughs> okay. Well, that's your homework. Yes, and I've been to many blind golf events, and I am amazed. Um, it is unbelievable to watch what some of these talented individuals have been able to do. Some of them knew how to play before they lost vision, but others did not, and it's just it's amazing to me. And in case you missed any of that, we'll have that in the show notes associated with this episode, number 2302, on our website at net. Also, as usual, you can use the search field to look for previous interviews we've done with Ted Henter and Eric Damry and JAWS, and just put some of those search terms into our website, and you'll find those episodes along with links to the audio and show notes. And we talked about Blind golfing. Yep, we've had that on Eyes on Success, too. That will also be in the show notes, and you can just put golf into the search field. That's it for show number 2302. 
Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with Ryan Jones, who has recently stepped up to take on the role of Vice President of Software Products at Vispero following the retirement of Eric Damery, who you heard from today, and who held that position for many years. We'll talk with Ryan about how his long career with Vispero and its predecessors prepared him for this new role and his outlook on the future of accessibility. Well, thanks for joining us this week and over the years as we reached our millionth download late last year. And we hope you'll join us next week and continue listening to Eyes on Success. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.